Solar Electric has been in the news a lot lately as the California Public Utilities Commission, or CPUC, as well as its sister regulatory agencies in other states, try to balance stability for the electric grid with the urgent need to move to solar in order to combat climate change. This is the first episode in a two-part series in which we go to the experts and dive into the nuts and bolts of solar electric, how the panels work, the installation process, financing the system, and finally, the fight over net metering 3.0. Welcome to Linksploration Bay Area. Climate change. We look at it up, down, and sideways. We follow the links between climate change and so many other issues, and all of it with a local twist. Hi, this is Jean Rosenmeyer, and I'm the host of today's episode of Linksploration Bay Area. Today we're talking to Amit and Pat, who work for Your Energy Solutions, otherwise known as YES. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. So tell us what you do and basically how solar panels work. Okay. Well, well, I'm a, well, I call it sales consultant. I've been doing... uh, selling solar panels and batteries for about the last two and a half years. Prior to that, I worked out in the field. I started as an installer, did site surveys, did some service work. So, yeah, and then I decided to get into the sales side of things. That's where I'm at. Amit? I currently work in strategy in the industry. I also worked as a technical solutions manager in solar. So my job was to make sure people's solar systems are running optimally, functioning, and maximizing any savings, essentially ensuring that customers get what they paid for for solar. So how do solar panels work? Just, you know, the thumbnail. And why would you want to do this as opposed to just sticking with PG&E? So there are two ways of explaining it. We can give the more complex answer or the simple answer. For the case of this podcast, we'll give the simpler answer. Basically, what solar panels do is they they capture the irradiance or the energy coming from the sun, and they convert that energy from the sun into electricity. This electricity is produced in direct current. However, the grid, so for example, PG&E power plants, traditional power plants, they send out power in alternating current or AC power. So in addition to having solar panels, you also have a solar inverter that converts that DC power from the solar panels into AC power, which is how the grid is and how homes receive their electricity. And this will allow the solar system to directly connect to homes and businesses. Maybe it's the former physics major in me, but I really wanted to know more detail about how photovoltaic panels work. So I looked it up. Basically, the panels are composed of layers of semiconducting material. Usually it's silicon. The energy from the sunlight gets molecules in the panels excited and knocks electrons loose. Here's where the semiconductors become important because they conduct electricity, sort of. They let electrons flow, but they don't lose their own electric field. 
These semiconductors are arranged in layers that shepherd the electrons knocked loose by the sun to metal plates and then to wires at the edges of the panels. Now these metal things are real conductors, so the electrons zip on their way to the inverter as direct current, and the inverter converts it to usable AC. So how does the installation process work? If I want solar on my rooftop, what's the first step? Well, you would come to a company like ours, you know, call or go through the website. And then somebody like me would call you back and say, okay, let me see your usage numbers for the last year. How many kilowatt hours did you use? And then I'll size a system based on that. You know, I'll use software that incorporates satellite imagery and lay out panels on your roof on the satellite image until we get to where we need to be. I just want to break in because it zipped by pretty fast. Did you catch that? The computer software designs the solar system based on satellite images. Wow. These images can tell exactly how to maximize the panel's efficiency. How cool is that? Yet another way in which computers own our lives. And now back to Pat and Amit. Are all the panels the same? Or are they different? They produce different amounts of electricity? They do. For example, you can have a 335-watt panel, or you can have a 435-watt panel. I've mostly been selling 435-watt panels. Are they the same size? No, they're not. The larger ones are, are slightly larger. We actually have one in stock that's uh, it's a 550-watt panel. Now, it's seven feet tall. And just about when you say wide. watt, does that mean it produces 500 kilowatt hours a year? Or how does that convert into the amount of electricity you get out of it? There are several factors in, in determining how much power an individual solar panel will produce. So one is where it is facing. So the ideal direction for solar is facing the south. Of course, southwest and southeast also work as well. But we do computer models in order to determine specific production. Well, give me, mm-hmm. a, give me a round number. So I would say on average, like if you have a properly installed system, every kilowatt of solar will probably produce about somewhere between 1,500 and 1,600 kilowatts of solar per year. Kilowatts or kilowatt hours? Kilowatt hours. Yeah. Yeah. I want to interject a little bit of clarity here because even the experts get confused about the difference between kilowatts and kilowatt hours. Kilowatts are a measure of flow, and kilowatt hours are a measure of volume. It's kind of like the difference between miles per hour and the total miles traveled. And the confusing part is that kilowatts are the measure of speed, and kilowatt hours are the measure of volume, or like total miles. It's exactly the opposite of what it sounds like. Now, there are historical reasons for this because Mr. Watt himself was developing engines, so he was interested in power, which is a measure of flow. But it seems to me it's time, way past time, to change this confusing nomenclature. And now back to Amit and Pat. I, I went to the county's website. And I found out that the average household in Walnut Creek uses 9,864 kilowatt hours per year. 
mm-hmm. which is seems like a lot because Concord only uses about 6,500, I presume, because houses are bigger in Walnut Creek. Not sure. Yes, that would be correct. And we pay an average of 23 cents a kilowatt hour in Walnut Creek and 28 cents in Concord, which is about double the national average. How many panels do you need to get 6,500 kilowatt hours per year? That's going to be a math formula, assuming PG&E is stating that your annual electricity usage is 6,500 kilowatts. Is that correct? Kilowatt hours, yeah. That's I mean, that's Kilowatt average hours, for yes. Concord. I just picked a number. I'm going to divide that by 1,500, which means you need, in order to produce that much, you need solar system size of 4.33 kilowatts total. And this can translate into on how many panels you need. It depends on what type of panel you go with. So what is the efficiency? So if you go with less efficient panels, you need to have more panels. But if you go with a more efficient panel, you can get by with less. Why would you ever get a less efficient panel? Pricing. So you can, like, for example, for this system here, you can do this either with 10 panels or you can do it with as much as low as nine panels, but also 11 or 12 panels. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you go with a larger number of panels, the cost per unit drops. So doing it with 12 panels is actually cheaper than doing it with nine panels. It's just the more efficient the panel, the more expensive it is. And well, really you might the not have reason- roof space, right? Yeah, so that's what you're gauging. So if you have lots and lots of roof space, you have the most ideal roof, then you you would be better off going with a less efficient panel and and being able to save your money. Or if you have limited roof space, you pay the premium and you can get the same production with, with a smaller number of panels. The one thing to remember, though, is more efficient panels are not more reliable. In terms of reliability... Or actually, I'll say it the other way. Less efficient panels are not less reliable. In terms of reliability, they're all exactly the same. It's similar to going, whether you're going with a, like an iPhone that has um, 64 gigabytes of memory versus one with 200, 256 gigabytes of memory. They're both the same iPhone and they're just as reliable with the, as each other. They just have different capacities. So how important is it to face south? Eh, it's not too bad. I mean, if you're comparing a south-facing panel to a west-facing panel, and there's no shade, and it's at a good pitch, you can get a couple hundred yeah. more kilowatt hours out of the one facing south over the course of a year. may not sound like much, but that adds up. Yeah, that does sound like... Uh, uh, go ahead. And you definitely want to avoid north-facing panels. The penalty during the summer is about 30% less than a south-facing panel. But during the winter, because the sun is so low in the sky, especially right now during December and January, Mm -hmm. those north-facing panels will have a 50% penalty. So you have very, very little production during the winter months. Wow. You may be wondering about the cost of solar per kilowatt hour. I was. So I looked it up. According to the Department of Energy, the cost for residential solar right now is about 16 cents per kilowatt hour. I'll put a link in the show notes to the program called Sunshot. It was started by President Obama in 2011. And their report 
gives a lot more detail, which you can peruse at your leisure. I was going to ask about solar shingles. Is that something? Is that a thing? Yeah, that's the, you're talking about the, the Tesla solar roof. Maybe. Um, Instead that's, that's of re-roofing, that I would have shingles that were solar panels and I would never have to deal with. I guess they still need an inverter, huh? Oh, yeah. You're always going to have to invert it. I'm no expert on that roof, but we all knew that would be very problematic in terms of maintenance going forward. Just imagine we have a lot of wires to take care of with traditional solar panel systems. Now you're talking about all these tiny shingles all over the place, all wired together. Yeah, for those of us who've dealt with wiring issues. Oh, my God. Field. Yeah, when your plumber walks on the roof and breaks all your solar shingles, you just have to off yourself or something. Yeah, also another, yeah I mean, that's a whole different story. The, the reviews on, on that style of solar installation, has well, they've been poor, let's just say. Well, let me throw a couple of stats in here. Walnut Creek has, according to PG&E, 4,244 rooftop solar. That's not true. Some of it is ground installations, and there is one giant government installation. But only 369 of them have storage. So why doesn't everybody get batteries? Or are they not a good idea? So batteries, it, it really depends. So one thing that PG&E has is a program called net metering. And of course, Which net we're going to get into a- momentarily. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're going to get into net metering soon. But as of right now, PG&E's net metering program is actually quite good. When you're producing electricity during the day, you're producing more electricity than you're using. So that extra electricity goes into the grid. And then at nighttime or on cloudy days, you're going to be using more than you're producing if you're producing electricity at all. And you're going to be taking electricity from the grid. There is a specific formula on how PG&E calculates all of this, and that is net metering. But for the most part, people benefit greatly from this program. And you don't need any batteries. Essentially, the grid functions as your virtual battery when it comes to sending your extra power out. When you send the extra power out, PG&E incorporates that power into the grid. So it powers your neighbors, businesses. And then in return, you get power back from the grid for the nighttime. Gotcha. We'll get to net net metering in a second. But I want to talk financing and tax benefits first. I believe it's pretty well known that the Inflation Reduction Act took the solar credit, this credit for installing solar back to 30% for the next couple of years. Yay. And that is exciting. It always did include batteries, still does. Yes, Mm -hmm. it does. So how do you pay for these things? Well, with our company, we actually have mostly cash customers. They just take it out of their savings or get a second mortgage? I don't know about the second mortgage part, but I would imagine they have money saved up and can go ahead and drop whatever it is, 20000 30 without financing it. Do you but do we'll- any power purchase agreements where you, you, you meaning yes, owns the system and then they buy electricity from you? So we did actually look into offering power purchase agreements, and there are many companies that do offer power purchase agreements. What happens when you do a power purchase agreement is 
another company installs the solar system on your roof. And what they do is they charge you how much that actual solar system produces. But one of the problems with this is when you do a power purchase agreement, you lose your tax benefits. It's the company that installed your system gets your 30% tax credit. Um. Um, The other downside is that they want to make a profit too. So their rates that they charge are very close to what PG&E charges. So you get a slight discount, but... It's not great. And then also the other thing is that it puts a contract on your home and it gives a negative selling point because when you're selling your home, a new person who's buying it is going to think this has this contract and this power purchase agreement. I don't want to enter that contract. And often you have to pay a bit of a penalty in order to end that agreement. So it can cause issues when selling homes. When a system is fully owned, there are no issues with sales. It's actually a positive. Well, let me ask you about the other ways to finance it, potentially leasing a system, like a 20-year lease, and then you own it at the end. Is that how those work? No leases have ended yet. But when a solar system is leased, you run into the same issue as power purchase agreements. So they install the system on your home. You don't get the 30% tax credit. They take it. And you pay monthly payments for the duration of the lease over typically a period of 20 years. And these payments are graduated. So they gradually go up every year, which is ironic because solar, unfortunately, like slowly degrades. You get a little bit less power produced every year. But with leases, they actually charge more. So as the lease gets older, you're paying more for less electricity. And it also creates an issue with selling the home again because... Oftentimes, people will view a lease as a negative. It's another liability. So somebody who's going to purchase your home, if you were to sell, is going to say that I don't want this lease. And in order to break the lease, once again, there's going to be a penalty that you have to pay the leasing company. So purchasing a system or financing is always the best way to go. And the 30% tax credit is really good. It's a tax credit, not a tax deduction. Right. Which brings us to the PACE system. It's the, I forgot what it's an acronym for, but it's the deal where the state pays for the system and then... No, no, no. No? no? It's Sorry, added to I your property. You. It, the state makes a this loan is... and you pay it back to no, your property taxes? No. No. And okay. this is the problem with PACE. Like, I'm sorry I interrupted you here on this one, but a lot of people have gotten burned by PACE. If you're going to go on PACE, really, really research, really, really think about it. The big thing to remember is PACE is not a government program. So what it is, is these private companies set up loans, and rather than you making monthly payments... They put the payments right on your property taxes. And that's the extent of the government's involvement. What the government does is they put the bill onto the property taxes. Well, they license these guys, the PACE administrators, or register them. I don't know if they license them. They register them. They register them. But you're taking out, once once again, a loan from a private bank. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, when you're doing PACE, you are using your home as collateral. And one thing, though, about PACE is that the interest rates are very, very high compared to traditional financing. These interest rates are probably like 3 to 4% higher 
Though the thing is, because you're using your home's equity as collateral, these companies are more willing to take the lending risk because if for some reason you're unable to pay, they can go after your house. And unfortunately, there is so much misinformation, especially by some very unethical contractors, where they say this is a government program, or they say that there's no payments. And the reason they're able to get away with it, because it takes about six months to a year before your first payment comes in. So people all of a sudden get a shock, and they don't realize that this is not a government program. This isn't a government grant. This is an actual loan. And unfortunately, they prey on a lot of vulnerable people, people who aren't financially sound or who are on fixed income, people like the elderly, into signing up for these systems that they simply cannot afford. That explains why the PACE website is so full of warnings. It's like one warning after another. It's pretty striking. Quite the red flag right there. Okay, Pat, how do I find a good installer? How do I tell a good installer from a bad installer? Well, a lot of our customers are referrals from other customers that were very satisfied with their installation. Everything's running well. Yelp is still a a pretty decent source, a good source to go and look and see what the accumulation of reviews are saying. You know, where are they in terms of stars? Uh, Am I likely to find an unlicensed installer, or is that pretty much not a real problem? That's not really a problem. Unlicensed installers? No. Well, you could always ask them to show their business licenses. Well, you'd want to check them out in some way, indeed. But typically, I mean, if they're on Yelp, you're probably looking at at least 40 or 50 reviews. Well, maybe. I, I take that back. Some companies are newer. You barely see 20 reviews. But, you know, see what the aggregate is. Mm-hmm. What are people in general saying? Ahmed and I like to pinpoint on what was bad, if, there's a, if there are bad reviews. And if there are, are they consistent? Where are the customers seeing the same problems with these companies? And that'll give you a you know, better sense of who's what. You know, look, look at how long they've been in business, obviously. Make sure they're not using outsourced labor. We don't. We use all in-house guys, our own guys. Mm-hmm. When you see much lower bids, it's typically a company that's using outsourced labor. We learn from experience that there's often quality control issues there, so we don't do that. One thing is when reading reviews, whenever I look at companies, and and I do recommend this when looking for a solar company, is solar is not cheap. It is a big investment, and it's an investment where you expect an ROI. So don't jump in with the first company. Don't fall for any high sales pressure. Any good company will give you some time to do your research and be sure to compare quotes. Get them from multiple companies. Just a note on jargon here. ROI refers to return on investment. If you put $20,000 in a savings account, for example, you would expect it to earn interest. Likewise, when you put that kind of money into a photovoltaic solar system, you expect it to pay off by reducing your electric bill. And now back to Ahmed and Pat. When reading reviews, of course, read the top reviews, but also read the one-star reviews because no company is perfect. Solar is construction. So in construction, sometimes things don't go as planned. So it's always a good idea to see where the company's weakness is. 
And like Pat said, see if there's a pattern and also see how does the company handle those issues? Because sometimes, like we mentioned in construction, sometimes things happen beyond a company's control. But what does the company do to fix the problem for the customer? So that's why it's very important to see those one or two star reviews as well, to see what the company is doing in order to take care of that customer who's experiencing issues with their solar system. And we are going to have to end this episode here, just as it was getting good. We've been speaking with Pat Villano and Amit Roy of Your Energy Solutions. Just a note, they are here as individuals sharing their expertise, not as spokespeople for the company. Nevertheless, you will find a link to Yes in the show notes. In our next episode, we take a deep dive into the colossal fight over net metering. The question is... As rooftop solar grows, how do we properly share the costs of providing electricity to those who can't put solar panels on their roofs, always bearing in mind the urgent need for more renewable energy to meet the climate crisis? Tune in next time for a lively discussion. The Exploration Bay Area is an independent podcast. Find, subscribe, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is linksploration.com, where you can listen to our archives, and there's also show notes, photos, and links to our guests. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at linksploration at gmail.com, and that's spelled L-I-N-K-S-P-L-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Look for us on social media, also on Patreon. We are not in this to make money, but we do welcome donations to help with the cost of keeping the podcast on the air. We're Jean, Sharon, and Christy signing off. Until next time, thanks for listening.